Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. Question for you. Should facial recognition in public spaces be banned? We're going to talk about this today. I'm joined by two people, Kerry Lenning, Associate in Data Protection and Information Security at Risk at Castlebridge, and Colin Baker, uh, CEO of Back From The Future, which you probably know, it's a, a shops around town, and also a freelance journalist, which he protests at, but I assert. Heavily. Okay, Kerry, should, should facial recognition in public places be banned? Well, I mean, according to the latest bit of AI regulations um, and certainly the uh, recommendations from from the European Data Protection Board, yeah, it's looking it's looking a lot more likely that it should be banned. Now, I, I think that that will have to get ironed out a little bit because I think that there's some valid uses and obviously okay. articulated uses already in the thing. Well, let me read what they say. The joint recommendations of the European Data Protection Board and the European Data Protection Supervisor prohibit the use of artificial intelligence to infer emotions or kick off social scoring. According to this body, which counts Ireland's data regulator as a member, the ban would apply to recognition of faces, gait, fingerprints, DNA, voice, keystrokes, and other biometric or behavioral signals in any context. And the reason for this apparently is due to the, quote, extremely high risks posed by remote biometric identification of individuals in publicly accessible spaces. Colin, what do you think? It's a really hot button. Um, I, and I, you'll note over the years, I've steered clear of anything that involves emotion or kind of an ethical dilemma. And this is really all of that in one big mess. Uh, so it's Come on, Colin, get off the fence. Yeah, what do you think? I kind of am on the fence. Now, I actually swing an arm and a leg towards... Uh, facial recognition and biometric security like this being of great benefit to law enforcement. I'm a, uh, a, a, a despiser of criminal activity uh, and being a retailer, I've been victim of it uh, quite a number of times over the years to the point that I've become something of an expert on it based on experience. And I think if you look at, the, the, the if you boil this down to simple facts, um, and you, you take away the, the, the kind of emotion for one moment and you say that as a law enforcement tool, quite aside from the commercial value, but as a law enforcement tool, if you were to say well, there was a mugging down on Grafton Street or off Grafton Street and mm. a camera picked out the identity of that person and that 
poor person went off and reported it to the guards and the guards said well what did he look like and they didn't know and they went took a photo fit and they 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 got a picture drawn and then they circulated that around all the guards and the guards went out there and they oh he looked a bit like you adrian and then they went up to you adrian and they said where were you on monday morning at 2 a.m and you couldn't prove where you were. I mean, there's always a certain amount of risk. But ultimately, as a mm. tool, if they were able to look back through a system that intelligently, more accurately than, you know, just drawing a picture or looking at a distant, grainy CCTV picture, were able to say, that was you, Adrian, because we have it to within 99% accuracy that it was. We have you. There's evidence. There's proof. It reduces the amount of time in order to uh, to, to prove you guilty, uh, and it reduces the tendency of those crimes to occur when those criminals and those would-bes uh, are aware that they are less likely to get away with it. So, in terms of Colin, reducing that's fine. Of- that's fine, Colin. Unless I'm a person of color, right? Until well, they get it wrong. Uh, exactly. Yes, but then if they get it wrong without the tool. So, in other words, if they spread the picture of you. And then what are the chances? And let's just keep it to binary and to, 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 to percentage chances. What are the chances that the 20 or 30 guards that that photo has been circulated to get it wrong and nail you, Adrian, And versus the chances of biometric, intelligent, well-developed biometric tools getting it wrong? Ultimately, the biometric tool is unequivocally more accurate than the anecdotal why? personal why? tool. Why? Why, why do you think that? I'm sorry. Like, wh- where is your basis? Do you understand the logic? Do you understand the AI? Do you understand what the training data is? I mean, as Adrian said, this is notoriously a problem for people of color, for people in you know minority situations. The Chinese are using it in <laughs> very, very dicey situations. There is definitely you, pitfalls there. You're dead right. And, and apparently the biometrics are less effective on people of color. They're less effective uh, in in certain lighting conditions, and um, obviously there's different systems being developed, and they all vary in terms on a daily basis in terms of their accuracy and the reports that we're seeing. Uh, I know uh, we worked with a chap who worked with Delta uh, a couple of years ago on their facial recognition systems, and they had evidence that they were getting ninety eight ninety eight point nine percent accuracy through. Now it's a smaller data set. But it was very, that's two years ago, and technology's come on since then. Um, there's other reports out of London that the accuracy is more like 40 to 50%. I'm s- merely speaking in terms of the technology, where it is going, how it's going, and let's face it, it's progressing, evolving, and improving all the time. So in Just principle... Let me, ask you, let me ask you a practical question, Colin. Say in your shop, for example, because mm. one of the uh, uses put forward for facial recognition in security uh, circles is to prevent retail crime. Now, have you faced a situation in your shop, for example, where um, you've had a recurrent crime? Could, could facial recognition have helped there at all? Hugely. Uh, now we have and maybe maybe you would explain that. Okay, well, for, genuinely interested. Yeah, and we I have experience in different types of retail, from grocery DIY hardware through to our own IT, and in different areas and different industries, we have our own tendencies and trappings of risk. But across the board, the ability of of CCTV systems, first and foremost to be able to relate to us, for example, in one of our stores, 
we have the ability to tag an individual. So say somebody comes in um, and they we've found that they've stolen from us. And of course, you could tell all the staff. Just just to be clear, when you say you found yeah. that they've stolen from you, do you, you mean that they, they we, were we were we were or... suspicious, uh, and we went back over CCTV. Uh, we okay. then saw that that was the case. We prosecuted them, and we were what? able then to internally. Uh, and of course, what you can do, Adrian, is you can take a picture yourself, and you can say, "Hey, look." Look, everybody, this person caused us a problem today. Please watch out for them in the future. And then three weeks goes by and you get busy and all the staff forget what that picture looked like. Mm. But in this case, we were able to, uh, to, to effectively flag that individual on our CCTV system to relay to the manager and staff through their own communications channel. They use Slack. And it would trigger a, a, a picture to go into that channel and alert everybody to the fact that a known shoplifter had just walked in the door. Now, that just on a very simple fundamental, and obviously you can draw that out across fraud, uh, people of, of, of greater, uh, maybe um, a more malevolent risk, like a, a sort of a risk of violence or whatever, uh, in medical centers and in, in hospitals and schools. But that on that very simple basis, the ability for us to record CCTV is obviously fantastic, and progressively to be able to isolate uh, intelligently people of risk uh, and, and report that back instantly. I mean, it goes without saying that that's going to reduce and almost mitigate mm. the chances of uh, retail crime. But then you can obviously draw Ke- that across industries. Right. Kerry, it's a fair point in one sense, isn't it? I mean, if you are running a shop or a retail organization, you will have security issues and security challenges. And if you see somebody coming in, and if these are all big ifs, if they're repeatedly stealing from you, you are going to try and find ways of preventing that, right? Of course, of course. And I'm not against, I mean, I'm not averse to the idea necessarily of CCTV, like I understand there's benefits and there's need and and like it, it sounds like perhaps I would love to interrogate Colin a little bit more about how his CCTV specifically worked. Like, was it based on known AI training models? Was it was it incorporating something, you know, remotely? Like how how did they tag the person? Um you know, it's it's potentially you know there are legitimate uses. The real the real trick in the in the privacy aspect is is to think about and balance those uses and the legitimate purposes against the data subjects and the rights of individuals. You know, mm. if I come into the store and Colin's CCTV is not conspicuous, it's it's hidden and it's not you know and it's not known to me that this is happening. That's a problem. That's a that's a big gigantic GDPR, you know. Well, it it is a problem under GDPR, definitely. I mean, if you go back to the central point of whether or not that makes you more or less likely to steal something, and I'm just following the train of thought here. It's yeah, I'm not sure how it's entirely um, kind of relevant. Right. I mean, there's that's always an argument for everything, and and every single you know government reports the you know if we can predict who is going to do the crime or if we can detect who is going to do the crime, then there won't be any crime. Philip H. And, Dick, is it Minority Report? Minority Report, right? And and you know, like this is. This I, I bet you, if you actually came up with a system 
a la Minority Report, I guarantee you get at least 20, 30 percent people to agree with you and vote for you. I guarantee you. Oh, sure, 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 sure. But there's also people who who agree that the earth is flat. That doesn't necessarily. Oh, it's not 20, 30 percent, though. Uh, in America, uh. <laughs> <laughs> where is your okay, evidence look, for let, that, Kerry? I need to see your statistics. Let let me let me put another scenario, and this is one that's it's quite interesting. The to the ability to be able to identify missing kids and child victims uh, of abuse. There was uh, a couple of years ago, police in the Indian city of New Delhi managed to identify nearly 3,000 missing children because they ran a trial using facial recognition software and they did it within four days mm. of launching the trial. Now, India is a massive country, 1.5 billion people. So 3,000 people in the in that context might be like, you know, one person here or two people here. But the argument will still be made um, that, you know, that is an interesting use of facial recognition in a public space, right? Yeah. No, I mean, it definitely is. And I think the 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 devil is, as always, in the details, right? Um, and, you know, I, I predict that there will be some nuance and some carve-outs. In fact, there already are carve-outs in the EC and the European Commission's version of legislation for those specific purposes and also for emergency situations and for terrorism. Which mm. are always the super buzzwords, um, but but the but the concern is okay, fine. Let's 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 narrow that, and so let's make sure that emergency doesn't become the excuse for everything or terrorism. Mm. One, one of the interesting cases that was turned down here in Ireland was a school in Kilkenny tried to bring it in uh, for attendance purposes to see who was going into school and who wasn't, and uh, I think the Irish Council for Civil Liberties got involved. And it became a public issue, and then the school backed down. Um, in one sense, I can kind of understand what the school was trying to do, and in another sense, there is a dystopian flavor of it. Um, Colin, what do you think in general about other uses for facial recognition? I'm thinking of things like um, the ability to enter sensitive areas of offices or to access, for example, sensitive areas on a laptop? No, again, we've seen a lot of brands, uh, notably, most notably Apple and, and, and most others following suit, facial recognition being used for mm. accessing your phone. And we've a lot of us have found how accurate it can be. Um, well, I think the, the on the iPhone and the iPad, I have found it to be almost unerringly mm. accurate. Yeah, yeah. Mm. scarily um, so. Android, Android, not so much all the time. Half the time, I'm like, come yeah, on. So, <laughs> well, the, the Android, the Android is is using less sensors. It's using a single camera, yeah, and yeah. and so it's not quite as accurate. But go on, Colin. Um, so it goes without saying that again, back to the idea of this being a an effective tool, better than previous tools. It goes without saying that convenience, as I heard someone say earlier, often trumps quite a lot of other concepts. So if it's convenient not to have to remember or type out a password and you just look at something in order to access it, and it is, as you said, relatively unerringly accurate, well, then that makes for an excellent course of events and a very desirable device to use or way of securing, say, networks or workstations or vulnerable areas in a, a building. So I think it goes without mm. saying that this is not going to be doused this is only going to to evolve in terms of accuracy and 
uh, in the areas in which it's used. Uh, I think you mentioned about the school. We installed a system like that. And again, I won't mention the school, but we, we installed it in a school. The reason for that was very simply to save teachers time and to reduce the likelihood of, of the whole logbook and, and other students uh, signing in for their friends. So just to, so was that so was that a facial recognition facial system recognition yes. and its students? Yes, but it was also for accessing the entrance of the school as well, which was very clever. Now, ultimately, it it, it didn't pan out. Uh, about two years later, uh, this is about eight nine years ago. So the technology was very much in its infancy. They and ditched it. it did they, they ditched it in the end. Yeah. Uh, we, Why did they ditch it? Yeah. They, at that time, it wasn't sufficiently. It wasn't a PR problem. Uh, people, it, people it wasn't good enough. The, the tech wasn't good enough. The tech wasn't good yeah. enough at the time. I think they'd probably look at it again. Uh, th- this particular school would be what we'd call early adopters, uh, pioneers, trailblazers, and even mm. uh, alerted to uh, the, the the fact that it, it wasn't quite there yet. They wanted to do. So, it. if you when you say that, if you held up a photograph of another kid, for example. Uh, who was uh, who was enrolled in that school? Was there a chance that that there was, particular yeah, system? There was also a chance. Okay, it was a strange one. There was a, a chance that brothers uh, and and familial connections were able to, yeah. to fool the system. So uh, and also it failed sometimes when the real person wanted to get through the door. So it wasn't right. entirely there yet. But the concept was there. It would save on manpower. It improved the security in the school from people who shouldn't be there arriving in. So I think the the cause and the impetus was a good, wholesome and positive one. Uh, mm. Ultimately, it wasn't viable. But uh, again, d- back to your question about its use into the future. Uh, of course, back to something that Kerry said, Kerry said that if she walks into a shop, and if the uh, cameras are discreet, now as it happens, retailers tend to be very compliant like that. They want people to see cameras and they want people to see a sign saying you are being recorded and they want to be compliant. Uh, so that's what Kerry suggested, of course, isn't the case. But you also mentioned, Kerry, sorry to, to, to take you up on this, but you mentioned the word gigantic in terms of it would be, a, uh, I think, a gigantic infringement on GDPR or a gigantic risk. I, I'm going to be devil's advocate for a moment, and it's not necessarily that I subscribe to this, but I don't feel it is gigantic. John Oliver, I was listening to a podcast yesterday from John Oliver, and he said, jokingly, if they theoretically could say that all crime in a country would be wiped out if and only if they could post a police officer in everyone's bathroom while they went to the toilet. And of course, the, the, the knee jerk is to go, oh, that's ridiculous. But myself and my brother who were listening to it got to thinking, if that was absolutely the case and we could kill crime altogether, would I particularly mind a guard watching me pee? <laughs> did, you, did you mind? I mean, I guess maybe you should ask some East Germans. Oh yeah, well, yeah. I think you. I think we're taking that. Well, down the dark no, do you know what? I, I'm I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to answer that question, and my answer is no. In other words, if you can guarantee me that all crime will be wiped, and I mean all crime, I mean murder, I mean all crime, with a guard in my bathroom, I would still say no. Now, this is what actually a lot of this comes down to. Where is the line that we all individually and collectively choose? between civil liberties, freedom, 
and security. That is always the tension, in my view, when writing about things like data privacy, for example. There's always that tension. For me, it's not worth it to have a guard in the bathroom to eliminate all crime, even if it's guaranteed. I can understand why somebody, somebody else might say, that is actually an acceptable price because there are horrible crimes being mm. committed. And and if we can wipe them all out, then yes, that is a price I'm willing to pay. That is not personally a price I'm willing to pay. Now, I know that might seem harsh or hard or mean or unthinking or cruel on those victims of crime, but that's the discussion. That's the debate. Um, it's an excellent way to position yourself on that scale. And I think you've boiled it down to brass tacks there. Where do you stand on that payoff threshold between civil liberties, privacy, individual privacy, individual liberty, and the, well, the rights, the, um, I suppose, the ability of the government or of law enforcement particularly to police society and reduce crime in effective methods. Well, it's a common debate in encryption. As well, there's yeah. always this tension between, on one hand, big tech companies and privacy advocates, as well, and governments. We see between Apple, the UK government, Apple, and the US government. Should uh, encryption should there be a backdoor? I actually asked the um, guard, the commissioner, that two years ago. We were talking about something else, and I and I asked him that question. He said he thought there should be a backdoor into encryption because, from his point of view, it was too easy for criminals and terrorists and other bad guys to just conduct their business. Cumulatively, as a society, I don't think we're ready to give up uh, encryption or to allow backdoor into encryption, even if it helps us fight more crime. I agree on that front. I I agree totally on that front. And the CIA and FBI, if you remember the terrorist case, when they wanted a backdoor onto uh, uh, the iOS on an iPhone 5 back in the day, and Apple simply said, uh, nope. Uh, and, and one of well, their... they, they did more than that. Okay, so I, I, I around that time, I happened to interview Tim Cook, Ooh. right? And I asked Tim Cook, what would Apple's position be if the Brits at the time, it was David Cameron at the time, continued with their mission to try and get Apple to provide a backdoor to encryption and if they legislated for it. And he said at the time that Apple would consider pulling out, pulling iMessage from the UK the UK market. That's as far as they were willing to go. So I wouldn't underestimate how strong the views are mm. um, on that. But again, it comes back to this issue. And just Kerry, to come back to the what we're actually talking about here, facial recognition in public places, what, what are we really saying here? Like, what do we feel about facial recognition? Is We're talking about public places now, but do we believe that facial recognition per se is a technology should be more limited. We've seen companies like Clearview, for example, which um, have developed this technology of scraping social networks mainly, and they're able to uh, to match any photo of you, basically, if you've ever been online to your profile or to a profile. And we know that police departments are buying it, etc. But if facial recognition technology exists, some form of that service will be available. So like, what do you do? You think, for example, that um, the facial recognition used by, say, Apple or Google in their photos apps is that okay? Well, I think some of that is is dependent on how the technology is used. It's dependent on the safeguards. It's dependent on, you know, the idea in GDPR land of proportionality. 
right? You know, mm. you want to design things that are proportionate to need. Do I personally have an issue with um, Android doing facial recognition to unlock my phone? No. And in part, that's because uh, a lot of that is maintained on the device. It doesn't go back to Google. It certainly doesn't go to law enforcement. Um, you know, it is it is in a controlled environment, and and the technology is 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 really being used for that purpose. And I'm aware of what that purpose is. Mm. Where it gets problematic in the public space is again going back to the idea of you know it's not conspicuous all the time, or it's being used in ways that most of us aren't aware of. In in Yanjiang or Xianjiang, uh, in China with the Uyghurs. You know, the Chinese government is using it for everything in their life. Mm. And, and I don't think most people, if you actually sat down and said, we want to stick this in Ireland, we want to stick this in Dublin and be able to patrol it's mm. not only your face, but your gait or how you're walking, who you're associating with, where you're going and having that level of granular detail on, on each individual I don't think most people would be okay with that. I saw with my own eyes some examples of that um, in Shenzhen, for example. We were in a bad traffic jam and there was the equivalent of the bus lane or the taxi lane. And there was not one single car. There were thousands of cars in the jam, not one single car, because the cameras were trained on that lane. And it was an absolutely infallible system of detecting you and finding you if you went into that lane. And I remember asking people about it later on. Again, I don't think that's something I'm willing to give up uh, just for that level of compliance. But some of the people I spoke to there accepted it and thought overall it helped keep order. But again, that's another uh, discussion um, entirely. I think it comes down to like, it's very easy for people who don't, um, shall we say, suffer discrimination or people who don't actually have negative, aren't likely to see negative effects hmm. from these trend, from these technologies to be able to support it. In the abstract, they sound very appealing. In the, don't get me wrong, I'm not a huge fan of crime either. I don't think most people, even in the privacy community, are like, yay, crime. Um, but But I think that most of us in the privacy community look at this in the standpoint of like, okay, it's not the the Collins or the Adrians or even the Carries of the world that have to think about these considerations. It's the folks that are already getting targeted, that are already getting harassed by police, or it's the people who are doing things that aren't illegal, but aren't maybe as societally condoned, right? Mm -hmm. And so it really, it, it cuts and it curtails into the kinds of freedoms and the things that we value. And, and to, you need to think about it from the standpoint of those, those marginalized groups. For instance, you know, there's, we still have a big problem in the world with um, uh, gay rights, right? Turkey's had massive crackdowns. Russia's had massive crackdowns. Imagine using that technology to identify gay people, mm. identify where people are going, and then to target those individuals. Which some of the uh, AI systems boast that they can do yeah. in a roundabout way. They talk about identifying sexuality. Some yeah. of them do. So yeah. that's not beyond the bounds. Um, just I just want to finish up with the more general question because one of the uh, one of the philosophies behind this call for a ban on facial recognition systems in public places around the EU comes from the. I suppose the, the belief of 
being able to have privacy and freedom in these public spaces. And I just want to ask both of you about this. This is what um, Andrea Jelinek uh, from the uh, European Data Protection Board said. said, a general ban on the use of facial recognition in publicly accessible areas is the necessary starting point if we want to preserve our freedoms and create a human-centric legal framework for AI. I've always wondered about that. I've gotten involved before in debates over whether you can take a photograph of somebody in a public space, in a square, or where the line is between that person's uh, freedom to walk around um, and your freedom to take a photograph. And the answer has always fallen somewhere between uh, that your right to observe somebody in a public square, because if you walk into a public square, there are hundreds of people there. You cannot walk around and insist that people do not observe you. That is a right that other people have to do. They can look at you if they want. Now, they can't harass you, but they can look at you. Um, And I'm still trying to figure out where the limit is to our privacy when we're in public spaces. And to me, this is related to this issue of whether or not there should be facial recognition in uh, public spaces. Do either of you have a view on that, on on whether the limits to your privacy in a public space? I think it comes down to harm. Right. I mean, it comes down to to the effect on on both parties. You know, it's in, in everything in GDPR is is balance or in a lot of things in GDPR. It's risk assessment and balance. And that's important because it's not a zero sum and it's certainly not a black and white condition. There are perfectly valid reasons to to allow for exceptions to people taking a picture. You know, if you're taking a picture of your family and, you know, no, I mean, a stranger. I, I actually mean, this came up, for example, uh, well, at, uh, at sports matches, for example. There's right. a, this is where the sensitive point was. So if you're at a GA match or a football match and there are hundreds of people there and there are kids playing on the pitch and you take a picture because you have a kid playing and there are lots of other kids in that picture or you get people in the crowd, what is your responsibility to those kids who are not in your family or to those other people? That's actually still a live question it's not actually a settled question in ireland with with children especially it's it's always it's always problematic but yeah no i i think that there is in my personal view i can't speak for you know the dpc for instance but in my well, the dpc doesn't really know either because i've asked her I've, i'm keep hounding her about this I'm, I'm i'm annoying her now about it but she doesn't have a clear answer, view if you do get an answer let me know but like I, I think that there is there there is a legitimate grounds right you have to assess harm if i take a picture of my kid and it just happens and he's on the pitch. I don't have a child, but you know, if I take a picture of my cat and my cat is, is around other people, other people, like I'm well, looking and focusing. Kerry, on- cats don't have the same rights. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. Kerry will argue. <laughs> people have rights. People have rights. And like, I, you know, if I take a picture and, and I'm really focused on the thing that I care about and not the other people and, you know, I'm using it for my personal uses. I'm not posting it on the internet. I'm not, or I'm not, I'm not sharing it or trying to target these children or do something else. I don't think that that's a problem. And I don't mm. think that most interpretations of that would be a problem. That's why there's a household exemption under GDPR. Mm. And, and the same thing with the with the Irish Data Protection Act. Yeah. I also so, think, Adrian, okay. if it's okay to come in there, um, you, you mentioned that uh, the authorities don't have an answer. But I wonder if really there is no answer. Insofar as what say you decide that that is a problem, 
and that no longer can parents take pictures of their kids on the football pitch. You, mm. you, you try to police that. You make a rule. You, you can't. It's not going to happen. And therefore, even if you have what you believe to be an ethical and viable solution, it isn't. It's not practical. And solutions must be practical and workable. And because there is none, I, I suppose that's why there's not really an answer to it. And I, th I think it comes back to Kerry's example there, where if it's clearly you're taking a picture of your cat and uh, as, uh, I suppose, um, an unavoidable consequence, you've got a picture of your neighbor's kids in the background. Look, there's nothing wrong with that because clearly it's not deliberately taking pictures of the neighbor's kids. I, I had a case uh, personally, in fact, where I was flying. Uh, I, I, I was flying a drone um, over the water in Glenagiri, and I took off from the land. And someone came to me and said, uh, "Do you realise my house is just over here, and my daughters are sixteen, um, and that's totally illegal, illegal that you fly that drone off there." Now, I, if I do fly the drone, I fly it over water because obviously it's a lot safer and, and, and legit to do so. Um, and I just thought it was interesting that his belief was that that was in some way an infringement on the privacy of him or his family. Obviously, again, had I been hovering overhead his house, that's a different story. But um, it's interesting the perception people have I mean, Kerry makes great sense there in terms of taking a picture of the cat, but people's perception of what is or isn't deliberate or malevolent or what the intention behind it is and what should be done about it, it's all so varied and nuanced. And I suppose that therein mm. lies the problem and the reason that there's no answer. Well, I, I where technology appears to come in to that equation is when a company like Facebook, for example, will say to you, you can upload the photo you took of the football match and our systems will analyze all of the faces uh, that are in that photograph of adults, maybe of kids too, and will come back with suggestions as maybe to who they are. Now, on one level, if you're part of a tight community, there are some people who might think that's an interesting and fun thing. And then there are others who would think, ooh, hold on a second. Now, that's a little bit creepy. And Facebook's response traditionally to that has been yeah. to offer controls to detag yourself from photos. And it's more from that uh, uh, element that they, they have a, approached it. But I'm just giving an example of where the technology comes in because the facial recognition has gotten to a point now where that kind of a system is possible. Right, right. And I, and I think that's the, that's, that's the real kicker is it's, you know, we can look at these kind of edge cases, you know, or the, or the cases where, as, as Colin rightly points out, there's not going to be any enforcement, right? You know, no one, if, if someone comes up to me and I take a picture of my husband and it's got people in the background and they say, Hey, look, I just don't want to be in the picture. I'll respect that. And I'll delete it. And I think most reasonable people probably will. And they'll just take a picture that doesn't include that person. But I don't think, you know, um, I don't think enforcement is coming against those cases. I think enforcement mm -hmm. is coming against the Facebooks. It's, it's coming against these like wider scale uses, which is why most of the time you're looking at mass processing. You're looking at multiple cases, not just individual discrete edge cases. That makes mm -hmm. sense. 
Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. Kerry Lenning, Associate in Data Protection, Information Security and Risk at Castlebridge, and Colin Baker, CEO of Back from the Future and a freelance journalist. Oh, yeah. And from, from me, Adrian Weckler, Tech Editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, that is all we have time for this week. And we will be back same time next week. Thanks for listening and watching. Bye-bye. Thank you.